Good evening. Uh, my name is Jason. Uh, so one of the um, one of the most common commands that I hear at my house uh, from my kids uh, is "Look, look, look at me, Daddy. Look at me, um, Daddy. Look at what I just did. Uh, look at uh, look at what I'm wearing. Um, did you hear what I just said?" Daddy, come here, look, from the other room, everywhere, all the time. And this is all the time. I have three kids, and my guess is 30, 40 times a day that I'm home. That's maybe underestimating it. There's something like that. Like all day long, my kids have a desire every single day for me to notice them, just to notice them, pay attention to what they're doing. It doesn't matter. They, and it's, it's usually silly stuff, right? Tomato head. Daddy, did you hear what I just called Jack? Tomato head. You know, and, 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 I'm, and there's an appropriate response to that. There's actually two. One is to pull Jack aside quietly and say, buddy, you're not actually a tomato head. She shouldn't have said that to you. I'm sorry. But there's another response, which assuming that that doesn't hit too deep with my son, that I'm, I'm, I look at my daughter and I'm like, oh my gosh, babe, that's so funny, right? Or something honest, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but, but the appropriate response, the response she's waiting for, that my son is waiting for when he wants me to look at him or hear what he said or see what he did is for me to appreciate them and notice them and dote on them. Notice what they're doing. And, and, and that response, quite frankly, is the reward for what they're doing. That's what they really, really want. It's one thing for them to do the action, to say the thing, to wear the thing, to speak the thing, but there's something else they desire. There's a, a kind of reward of sorts, a response that they want for those things. And that's for me to notice as their father. They want to be seen by me and never once, I'm, my oldest is seven, never once in seven years, ever, has one of my kids said, look at me, daddy. And I thought that was inappropriate. I've never once thought, like it wasn't just a, I thought this, but I didn't respond this way. I've never once thought, now son, that's pretty prideful. You shouldn't be so self-centered. My daughter has never come out of the room in a new dress and twirled in front of me. And I was like, you know, honey, that's vanity. Like I've, I, like, I've never thought it even. Like, it's not like I don't just say it. it. That would be, if you saw me do it, your heart should. Your heart would and it should break for the way a father responds to his kid who just says, look at me. When my son says, Daddy, come here, look at the thing I just did, and he's cutting shapes out of paper or whatever, like, uh, the appropriate response is for me to, to, to dote on him. I've never once had an other kind of, I have had other kinds of actual responses. I have been irritable or lazy or preoccupied, but, but always I know somewhere inside of me that there was actually a righteous response to my child who just wants their father to love them and notice them for a minute. And I know intrinsically at the core of my being, that's a good thing that they want. And it's a good thing for me to respond that way. And, and I even see that at other people's homes. I have a lot of friends who have kids. It's the stage of life that I'm in. And, and when I go to their house and I, I'm sitting at a dinner table and some kid comes running up and says, mommy or daddy, come look at what I just did. I don't think, man, your kids are like super self-centered. Like, I don't think that. I actually, it, it, because I may be engaged in a conversation that my irritability gets at me and I'm like, uh, interrupted for like the ninth time in two minutes or something. Like that might happen, but, but part of the battle that's happening in me is I know that, what's, that this is really important. Your child just came and grabbed your sleeve and says, come look. And it's actually probably a really good idea that you go look. And it speaks wonders to me of the relationship between a parent and a child 
When I hear a child vocalize the desire a lot, right? If I go to somebody's house and they say, daddy, look, mommy, look, come here. Did you see whatever? Usually that's a great sign that kid feels like they can trust their parents and that kind of thing. Like it's, 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 I'm telling you, when I look at parent to child relationships, I identify particularly with a father-son relationship or father-daughter relationship. Uh, it's a good thing to notice for the father, for the mother to notice the child. I began first thinking about this when my son was about two, maybe one and a half, two, when it just became really, really common for him to ask me all the time to come look at what he, what he was doing. Um, and, and usually it wasn't enough for me to be like, yeah, buddy, that's really cool. Like he sees right through that, just like you do with your parents or your friends or somebody else. He, he saw through it at 18 months old. He would want me to actually get down on his level and see it from his angle and, and, and be with him in that place, looking at the thing he did. And then he would look from the thing to my eyes and he would want to know what I thought of the thing. And what he was hoping for was some kind of congruency between us, some kind of shared space with him. And, and I thought about it even more when my daughter became, my first daughter became about that age because it was slightly different. She wasn't always saying, daddy, look at the thing. She was always saying, daddy, look at me. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's a very guy, girl cliche or something. I don't know. Uh, and, and, and it's not 100% either way but they do it different ways, but I've just noticed how much they ask for me to notice them and pay attention to them. This last Sunday, it's not just me either. It's not just like parents. Uh, this last Sunday after church, my wife, um, uh, it's funny that I said after church in light of this sermon, but anyway, you'll get to that. Um, but my, uh, my wife uh, went shopping for some stuff because my daughter's birthday is coming up and she didn't want to shop you know, with my daughter in the car. So, so I had the three uh, kids at home and at one point um, they're sitting at the table we have a six seat table and two kids at one end, one here. And, and I'm sort of standing in the kitchen with a barrier to keep myself safe from them because they're mostly naked and there's food spread everywhere on this table. Um, and my son is going raw, 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 raw on the table. He's seven. And my, my two-year-old is trying to copy him and she's standing and the chair's kind of rocking and she's going raw, raw, right? And my, my, my middle child is saying, everybody be quiet, everybody be, and I'm watching, I mean, I'd seen her right before that try to say something but my my oldest and my youngest were like going after each other you know across the table and so my middle one was like everybody be quiet and, and after three or four times of yelling it they stop and of course she goes okay listen to me right like and that's the only reason she wanted everybody to be quiet you know I was like just quiet it would be great you know but, but she's like everybody be quiet but it's it's in order that everybody pay attention to her for a minute and oh man Every, my kids, they want to be seen and heard and noticed. And it's not just true of them. We don't grow out of that. I don't know how old you are. I'm 36. I'm not grown out of that yet. It's, it, when I see it in a child to a parent, I recognize it as a good thing. When I saw it between my daughter and my, my, my other kids, there's a part of me that when it's not quite as pure there, because I don't know if your siblings are created to notice you and dote on you. I am. But, 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 uh, but, but still, the desire to be noticed is a good thing that I recognize in my kids and, and they don't just want it from me. They just want to be seen and heard all the time. I, and just like my kids, I'm utterly convinced that all of us want to be seen too. Just a couple minutes ago, you may have not noticed. Maybe eyes roll back in your head when we sing worship songs. But just a couple minutes ago, we sang words that said, they were talking to the father and saying, I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. And as we look through the words of Jesus in just a minute in the Sermon on the Mount, 
He's going to talk a lot about our hearts. But one of the things we're going to see as he talks about us and what he wants from us and how he treats us is we're going to actually see what the heart of the Father looks like, or at least you have an opportunity to get a glimpse of it. In other words, what you just sang a couple of minutes ago, if you sang, God might even be answering your prayers tonight in that. Let's listen. Let me pray for us, and we're going to get into some text and look at what the heart of the Father looks like and what he says about our hearts and our righteousness. All right, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you anoint my words, help me as a sinner to communicate the unadulterated truth of your gospel. Keep me free from heresy. I pray that your spirit would be at work, uh, bringing understanding and truth into the hearts and minds of my friends in this room, these people that you've made on purpose and with intention. May your heart be known. May your heart be known. And may you help us identify with how much we wanna be seen and known and help us to believe in how much you see us and know us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter, chapters five through seven. I encourage you to read along um, or memorize it if you wanna get to heaven, I guess. Uh, uh, but in the Sermon on the Mount, um, one of the, the ways I'm sort of framing this is, to, and I think this is a very accurate understanding of what Jesus is doing um, in the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the, Bible, of the New Testament, um, that Jesus is giving us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. So Jesus preached about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, synonymous ideas, depending on which gospel account you're reading. He preached on that a lot. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's given us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a, it's a kingdom of blessing we talked about. Before anything else, Jesus said it's a kingdom of blessing. And it surprises us who's blessed. But that's how he begins this. It's a kingdom where his people are the light of the world. I didn't even talk about that. I'm kicking myself for that, but it's a kingdom where, where, where God, Jesus says it's a kingdom where people are blessed and here's who they are. Then he talks about who he is. Last week we talked about Jesus' demand, his call, his promise for his people to be perfect. It's a kingdom where perfection runs so much deeper than any of us have ever thought and he promises to bring it to completion in his people. And, and, and now in Matthew chapter six, he's gonna make another turn would you put that first uh, slide up, Daniel? He makes this turn at the beginning of Matthew chapter six. He says, be careful. It's the first time he kind of uses this phrase. He's been saying, you've heard it said, you've heard it said this, I tell you this. And now he's gonna say, be careful not to do some things. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. And so we go from Matthew 5 where Jesus is talking in some ways about how we ought to live and what we ought to think. And now he's talking a little bit about our intentions of our hearts. Why are we doing stuff? Maybe we should be careful not to do some things because of the intentions of our hearts. He starts acknowledging, if you can imagine moving from one place to the next in this short sermon, you could read the whole thing in just a few minutes. When he starts saying, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you remember, he starts by talking about our anger bringing us close to the fires of hell. And in a manner of minutes, he's already assuming that we're doing righteous acts. Don't miss the grace in that. Jesus doesn't say in Matthew chapter six, if, if you do righteous things, if you give, if you have charity, if you pray, if you fast, he assumes his people the ones where he's cautioning them not to anger and lust because they've all fallen short. He assumes these people of his kingdom, 
by his power and his provision, following him as king, will be people who are charitable, people who pray, people who fast, and other things we'll maybe talk about tonight. He assumes this. It's a quick turn. His people are going to be doing things like this. The question is not whether you will or you won't. It's when you do, when you're charitable, when you pray, when you fast. Do not do these things to be seen by others or you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Tonight, as we go through this passage, I mainly want to focus on the idea of doing things for God alone, doing things in secret for God alone. Usually, I have heard this passage talked on a handful of times, and I've always heard a lot of focus on on giving to the poor, and that's a sermon, and on prayer, and that's a sermon, and, and on fasting, and that's a sermon, and it's actually kind of breaking my heart that I can't, I'm not doing that right now, but, but this is something I haven't heard talked on a lot, and that is the sweep of why Jesus puts these things together, the repeated phrases he keeps using, and what he's getting at in the whole section, not just the practical stuff, just about prayer, for example, Although that, that, that section might be, Carl Barth would say it's one of the greatest gifts to the church is the Lord's Prayer. But I'm, I want to kind of zoom out a little bit, but, but it's going to be helpful for me to just talk about a few like kind of anchor points in each of these things for us. Because uh, I think we'll see why he brings up these ideas in terms of not practicing these before others, but just before our Father in heaven. So would you put up that, um, the slide that just kind of breaks down the three things? Real quick, Daniel. Thank you. Charity, prayer, and fasting. I'm gonna talk about these things for a second, right? So Jesus says, um, Ethan read this, right? When you're charitable, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets. To be honored by men. Give your charity, Jesus says. Give your charity. It's not bad to be charitable, of course. Be charitable. His people will be charitable. Just don't announce it. Don't announce it. Like the hypocrites, which is a word used for actors, who know how to play a part and say a few lines, but it's a play, the whole thing's an act. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Maybe don't even announce it to yourself. Don't even focus too much on yourself as you give. It was well known at the time of this sermon, right, that there were some of these religious elite folks who would go into the synagogue and they would drop coins and they'd love the empty coffers. They'd love the big metal ones right near the entrance where they could drop coins in and everybody would hear it. And we know, we know, I mean, without even an explanation, we know the motives that are there, profiting off the poor. I'm not making money, but I'm getting praised because people are seeing me and going, oh, there's a person that gives a lot. Using the poor for their own praise and their own accolades. There's actually a story in our town years ago there was a, it was a Times Free Press interview where some of the poor in our city were being interviewed about the help and social justice um, uh, resources in this city. And, and the quote was, the person said, it feels like the rich folks come off the mountain to feed the animals. That's scathing. Now, I don't know if that person had an accurate understanding of the hearts of everybody coming off the mountains, right? Or whatever. I don't, it doesn't even matter to me whether they were accurate or not about, about what people's intentions were. That's how they felt. And surely there was a lack of dignity and compassion in the way the poor, this particular poor person was served in our context and in our city. Why are you doing it? You're gonna be charitable if you're following Jesus. Why are you charitable? Who are you doing it for? Do you give money to someone in need? Do you tithe to the church? You will if you're following Jesus. 
He will see to it, but don't announce it. Don't do it just to tell someone you did and don't do it just to tell yourself that you did. Charity. Prayer. When you pray, he says, up here it says, don't announce it to be honored by men. Do not even be self-congratulatory. I'm just trying to give you the bullet points up there, right? So prayer. When you pray, he says, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. They literally would stand with arms out looking up in front of everybody in higher places so everybody could see them, right? Don't do this. He says, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and lock it, Jesus says. And pray to your father who's unseen. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do you? You think you're heard because you strung the words together right? Because you figured out how to pray? Because you're sophisticated? Because you can talk so much? Do you not pray? Because you're worried you don't have the words? Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. This one's really hard for me to skip over, okay? The prayer stuff. Because <laughs> uh, if we could just learn from the master how to pray, I think it would change our lives. It's Matthew chapter six. I encourage you to dig into that. It's a gold mine. But I just gotta point out a couple things first, right? First, prayers directed to God, not to others. Do not pray for people to see you or hear you or for the attention of other people. Prayer is directed to God, not others. We talk to other people. We don't pray to them. We don't pray so that they hear or see. Put it this way. Prayer is not your primary form of evangelism. Some of you might think it is in the UC. Friends come over to your house, to your dorm. I don't know. I don't know if you ever have that moment where you're like, should I pray? Should I not pray? I do a lot. Has Jesus ever asked us to pray in front of other people? And has that ever made you feel like, have you ever seen somebody else pray and immediately begin to glorify God? Usually for me, I see somebody else pray and I go, oh, I should be praying. You know? I mean, maybe that's just me, but um, I, I'm, I'm not convinced yet that if you go into the UC on campus and you start praying that people are gonna flock to Jesus because they saw you do that over Mose. I'm not convinced that's happening. Now, now, let me go back to Matthew 5 where Jesus does ask us to do a lot of things that people are gonna see. What if you loved your enemies? What if you didn't harbor anger? What if you meant every word you said? Would that maybe encourage people to consider God? In your humility, in your poor estate, in the things that nobody celebrates about you? Nobody's gonna come up to you and be like, man, you did so good controlling your anger. Man, loving your enemies, man, you are awesome. People don't do that. They see that and they actually do. It's like Jesus knows what he's talking about, y'all. Like people see that and they actually immediately go, that's something else, man. I don't even know how you take credit for loving your enemy. That's something else. There's power on high that you have. I don't know what words we'd use, but it's not likely that somebody's gonna start praising you for the kinds of things you read in Matthew chapter five. The kinds of things you read in Matthew chapter six do not typically, if done in front of other people, cause people to start glorifying God. Usually what happens is people feel like they're not righteous enough. They're not good enough. Yesterday, I, I talked to a couple guys around here, not even thinking about this sermon, about a gentleman I know who gives over half of his money away, over half of his money away to people in the city and to things in the city of God, over half. And he still has what I think is millions. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any idea really. 
But I don't think ever once, I mean, maybe I, I want to give the other guys credit and I'll just speak to my own heart here. Never once did I, maybe there was a moment I said, praise God, because I just didn't know what else to say. But mostly I was thinking, this dude is nuts. And how does he do that? And that's crazy. And that's, I was thinking about him, him. And I, I, I bet you that would break his heart if he heard it. <laughs> He probably would like, I mean, I'm never going to tell you his name. He probably would like for me not even to know what he gives so that I might just glorify God in heaven and see other things, see him just, see him love his enemies, see him mean what he wants, see him mean what he says, see him not lust, see him not harbor anger. Jesus said about prayer and charity and fasting, do this stuff in secret. Don't pray. Have you ever been in a prayer circle where you know somebody's praying just so you can hear it? There's a sermon, really, and it's just people say, dear God, and amen at the end of it, but it's actually a sermon for you or for somebody else. I've heard it a number of times. Jesus says, don't do that. Or you will not get your reward from me. You're not even doing it for me, Jesus says. You're doing it for them. What are you looking at me for? To my, to my shame, I've done it. There's no rewards for me in that. Prayers to God not to others. Prayer is for you and God. So go into your room and lock the door when you want to pray. Second, God is not impressed with many words. We don't earn the right to be heard with God. Jesus is emphatic about this. He tells us how to pray, what to pray, and then he reminds us that God doesn't need us to know exactly what to say and, and babble on and come up with really great, clever strings of words. We don't need to say Lord 75 times if you've ever been in that place. We don't need to ask God to just, just do one thing, just one thing. We don't need to inflect our voice to act passionate. Like We don't need to, 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 to walk in the room and say, hey, what's up? Let's pray. Dear God, I just, mm. you know, like, I, I want to be careful now. I don't want to criticize or shame you if that's the way you've always prayed and it's just now the normal thing, right? Like, I, I start talking to a relative of mine in New Jersey and my wife's like, you're talking to Craig Elider, aren't you? Because I can tell you're talking like a New Jersey guy now. And like, there's just, a, because I have a relationship with him and, and every time we talk, I start adopt. I lived in New Jersey for a short stint and for some reason it stuck. And a little bit, like the, the thing does, it's really weird. Like, it's really weird. I catch it sometimes. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't ever talk like this. Yeah, uh, but but if, that's, if that's why you go, dear God, you know, then great, fine. But, but if you're doing it because you think there's a particular like inflection or style to this thing that God's really going to listen to, he's gonna stoop lower and you're going to have a greater chance at leveraging blessing from the Almighty Father who gives good gifts to his children. You don't need it. You don't need it. That's what the pagans do. There's a tremendous story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever heard the story. But there's sort of this war of our tribal gods sort of story. And the prophets of Baal are dancing and, and singing and slashing their bodies, literally drawing blood from their bodies all day and all night, exhausted praying to their God. Elijah basically says a couple of words and God shows up. The pagans do this. This is what we naturally think apart from the divine revelation of God. We think we need to impress him. Jesus said, no, you don't. That's what the pagans do. 
He reminds us that God even already knows what we desire before we ask. And for some of us, that bothers us. Like if, if, if God already knows what we're gonna say, and, and that could be a whole talk, okay? I'm just gonna give you a, a, a brief snippet here, okay? For some of us, it bothers us that God already knows, so why ask, right? Like if he already knows what I need, why do I even have to talk to him? You could make the argument, if my wife knows I love her, why should I tell her? You could. Dale Bruner, a commentator that I'm reading a ton as I go through this series, uh, says this. He says, this is not an intelligence briefing, but it's an intelligent conversation. Prayer is not an intelligence briefing. We're not telling God something he doesn't know. It's an intelligent conversation, hopefully. And it's not so hard to imagine in our practical life. Maybe you've had a similar situation, but I've been in college ministry now for, I don't know how many years, uh, Kirsten knows how many years I've been here, I forget, but it's a lot, more than 10. Um, I, I now have conversations with younger men where, uh, quite frankly, I know what they're gonna say, a lot. Like I, I have a conversation with a guy and he starts talking and I know in my mind where this conversation is going. And about seven or eight years ago, I had a kind of a crisis where God was taking me to task on this because I'd wanna like go, I know, I know, you're this and this and this and this and this, right? Well, here's what you should do, you know? And, and, I, and, and, and God really called me to task on that and said, you need to honor these folks. You might know where they're going, but they don't. This is the first time they're encountering these thoughts and this idea. You need to honor them. You need to honor them. Are they ready? And so now, really, I'm not kidding. I could know exactly where a conversation is going to go, but that's not the point of why we're talking. It's so that I'm informed that's really rare, like really rare for somebody to say, hey, Jason, can we talk? Because you just need to know something. Even if they say you just need to know something, they're actually hoping for something other than just the information briefing. They're hoping to, to get an opinion or to recruit me on the side of something or to, to, to develop some thoughts together around the word of God on an idea. It's never just a sharing of information. The point of the conversation is actually the sharing of the person, the, the sharing time with this person. God already knows what you're going to say before you say it, so why are you freaked out about saying it? Prayer is for God. Be simple and straightforward. And if we understand it, this should free us to pray all the more. Most prayer probably, if we're really honest, most prayer is probably just a bunch of like, breaths and moans and stumbling trying to find words most prayer i love blake he preached earlier this year or, or 2015 i guess uh now he talked about praying to god and, and is sitting on this rock in silence for so long and then he was like what's up god and he said he didn't know if that was okay or not and i want to go read matthew 6 dude if that's what's on your heart what you need is to be direct and simple and straightforward god will accept your silence he will accept your bumbled words. He'll accept your crappy theology. He'll accept your anger. He'll accept your sophistication. He'll accept you on your knees, standing up in the bathroom. You do not earn the right to be heard by God. He doesn't need all that. He's a good father and he knows what you need before you even ask. He just wants you to be ushered into his presence and he wants you to know him and meet him there. I don't know. He may change your heart. He may change his plans. I don't know. I know that prayer is to God, not to others. And I know that Jesus' command is emphatic. Be simple. So much so that he says, when you pray, just pray like this, y'all. In one gospel, he actually says, pray this. In another gospel, he says, pray like this. So I don't know what you want to do with that. But he gives you a pattern. When you pray, do that. Don't do it for others. 
fasting. When you fast, you not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. It was just a, a, a get ready for the day, okay? Most, oil on their face probably most likely just meant not even special occasion stuff. Just wash your face and, and dress up and go out the door like you normally do every day. Look normal, right? Um, uh, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. Honestly, not many of us practice this fasting to our detriment to our detriment not many of us practice it many of us um just so you know will we'll actually practice many of us here are invited to do this somewhere during the lent season which is coming up soon um ash wednesday and, and beyond um till easter uh we will uh, probably practice some kind of fasting together as a community um not for the sake of uh, of being known to everybody or whatever uh in light of this but uh but because we recognize that like many of you have never done it and you don't know the purpose of it. And there's not a lot of teaching of it out of the mouth in the New Testament. There's not a ton of teaching on it. There's a lot in the Old Testament, but nobody reads that. I mean, a lot of people do, but most of us don't, right? Um, but, but so like, uh, uh, we're gonna do some stuff on that. So if you wanna learn about fasting, if that's something you've never done, I wanna invite you to that when it comes up. But in any case, um, uh, this one may sound a little strange to you if you, if you don't fast. But um, anyway, Jesus uh, is, is acknowledging the fact that during that time, Fasting was, was actually very common for the Jewish people and for these Pharisees, this elite religious group particularly, they would fast at least a couple times a week and, and um, they would disfigure their faces and they would look sad and they would moan. And you'd walk up to somebody and you'd say, hey man, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm fasting, you know, I'm just, I'm just hungry. For God though, you know? Uh, and of course, of course, the response from the, the person asking the question isn't, praise God, man. That's so good, like we would if it was fighting the anger that's in my heart. Like we would if it was putting lust to death. Like we would if it meant marriages were saved. We might do that. But somebody says they're fasting. Oh man, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna eat lunch today. I'm just, just fasting for God. That doesn't usually bring glory to God. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Look normal, man. Look normal. Fasting is a great thing. He assumes his people will do it. But when you do it, look normal. Don't do these things to be noticed by others. And I've mentioned this, but do you notice how these practices and practices like them do not bring glory to God when other people see them all the time? That often isn't the natural response to them. When we see others practice these, these things, often our hearts condemn us. We focus not on God, but another person's piety and feel like we don't measure up. And I want you to think about this for just a minute, how gracious God is to everyone else but you. He's also gracious to you, but think about this command in particular. When he says, you do it in quiet, before we get to the reward section in a minute, when he says, you do it in quiet, the first person who's blessed is every other person that could see you do it. How wonderful is it that when I say, uh, I'll, I'll talk about these things in a second. Okay, I gotta move on to other things. Okay. Um, uh, in the secret, Jesus says, so often he says this. Okay, here's what I wanna draw your attention to tonight most clearly. Um, will you put up um, that other slide for me real quick, buddy? Uh, the next one, here we go. Uh, before that. There we go. So three different times in Matthew chapter six, and this is what I'm saying. I wanna zoom out just a little bit and not focus so much on and drilling down into each one of these topics, but to, to see how Jesus strings these things together. And so three different times, this is said in exactly these words, 
parts of sentences before it or whatever, but these exact words are strung together three different times in verses four, six, and eight. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's a refrain in this chapter. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. First, I wanna talk, uh, talk about rewards a little bit. Just as a side note, but it's a big, big deal. I wanna talk about uh, the father seeing you mostly, but we gotta step aside and talk about rewards first. So it may surprise you, some of you, um, maybe most of you, that Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, and don't worry about rewards. Your charity should be enough. You prayed and that is the reward in and of itself. You fasted and fasting is its own reward. I don't know if that surprises you. It kind of surprised me when I began to focus on this, how much Jesus talks about rewards. I know people, many people, who talk about altruism, doing things for their own sake, altruism. And I can say nothing about it other than that Jesus doesn't talk about it that way. (laughs) That's all I can say. He doesn't talk about it that way. He speaks so often of rewards, so often, that I I think it's fair to say he assumes that all of us, every single one of us, is motivated by reward. He does not speak down on somebody for the desire for their reward. He only speaks them on who they're looking to to reward them. Where am I looking for my reward from? That's what he's pointing out. Practicing our righteousness in front of others simply means that what we wanted is the notice from others. I did this and the reward I'm looking for is you guys thinking I'm great. And Jesus goes, well, then you got your reward in full. Whatever you got there, that's what you got. You got your reward. I did it for a fruit. I did it for a response. I did it for what he's calling here a reward. And I got it. If that's our desire, Jesus says, we get whatever attention we get from them and there's no reward from him. Why would there be? If we practice our righteousness in secret for God alone, he says he will reward us. And I wanna just say, what will this reward look like? This is a breakdown. Uh, I could probably get way more specific than this, but in case there's a lot of questions here, I wanna try to be um, as helpful as I can with sort of these four things I think are clear. We'll put that next slide up. These four things are pretty clear about um, the ways in which God definitely rewards us, right? The first reward is that we're actually known and loved by God. This is uh, definitely um, true more than anyone else has ever been able to give us, right? Like when I wanna be known by you, when I wanna be praised by you, when has that ever actually worked fully? God promises to actually know and love us. I had a friend tell me today, I was asking him some questions about all this. He's a a counselor friend of mine and I was really wrestling with a particular dynamic I have with this text. Um, And he said, uh, he said, Jason, what's so hard is that the people we love the most still see a different version of us than who we see in the mirror. The people that we love the most see us differently than we want to be seen. And we talked a lot about how we wanna control the narrative that everybody has about us. You know, nobody's ever seen me fully. The scriptures would tell me I haven't even been revealed fully yet, but God does know me fully and he promises to know us and see us. More on this in a second, right? But more work is also a reward. I've talked about this a couple times. I think it's been a few years in this context though. So um, this may sound strange to you at first that more work is a reward. I know you guys at this point in college, many of you are like, the last thing I want is more work for college or something, but um, uh, but, but I actually think this is, um, in many cases, the best kind of reward 
for work is more work. Many times. If you do a great job at math, one of the best rewards that you can have is harder math. If you're a stellar high school athlete, it's great to win a high school championship. But in some ways, an even greater reward is being able to play at the college level, which is harder. And it's great to win a Heisman or a national championship, I'm sure. But every single, I'm thinking football right now, right? But every single, which I shouldn't at this point, but every single uh, uh, athlete who, who plays at the college level has dreams of playing at the Olympic level or the, or the paid professional athlete level that they would understand the, re, the right appropriate reward for great work is being able to do it harder, being able to do it more. One of the best rewards of prayer is the invitation to pray more. One of the best rewards for devoting yourself to the word of God is that he opens your mind and heart up to understand more of his word. I want to be careful to note however, um, uh, with this third one, with even more, what's behind door number three, um, that, that the language Jesus uses in Matthew chapter six is a future tense language. God will reward you. And virtually everybody who studies this concludes that those rewards are primarily reserved for judgment day, where every Christian, everybody who's in Christ will stand before God in judgment and be rewarded, be rewarded beyond anything we can ask or imagine. Not a single thing you did in the secret for the attention of the Lord alone will go unrewarded. And ultimately that brings about a fourth almost throw-in reward and that is satisfaction. Which every time you've done something for the praise of other people, it's never ended in full, restful, peaceful satisfaction. It's always fallen a little bit short. Truly the attention of each other will not satisfy. The truth is friends, I could never, ever, ever praise you enough, ever. I could never praise you enough to bring you rest, to fill you up, to go, <sighs> usually good job is responded to with one of two things. Typically, typically, it's what a great blessing when it's responded to with thank you. But typically in the inside of us, it's usually responded to with you just don't know the truth. That could have been better. We knock down the praise a little bit, right? Or, if I do receive it, I receive it as pressure to have to continue to perform at that level in the future. It's so rare that I receive praise from somebody else. I leave here and somebody comes up to me and says, man, great sermon. It's so rare that that penetrates into the core of my heart and I actually go, thank you, thank you. I'm so honored in that, thank you so much. It's so rare that that happens. It's, I cannot praise you enough and the praise of others will never, ever, ever fill you up and satisfy you in the way that God desires to satisfy you. My praise will always be slightly off or fall slightly short, and that's true of you. It's not true of the Father. One day, one of the great rewards is the deep abiding peace that he knows and will set, he knows you and will set everything right. Not a single thing will be missed. Not one battle you fought, not one effort that you've taken, I have two friends right now that are um, having a really hard time with each other. And both of them don't know how hard it is for the other. I know a little bit, which breaks my heart for both of them. What God knows is way deeper than that. He knows every single ounce of energy they put into not harboring bitterness 
every effort they make toward reconciliation that doesn't work sometimes because it's not received in the way we meant it. Every single fight you fought, God knows all of it. Everything that's ever been done in the secret, there's nothing. Where can you go? Where can you hide from the presence of God? The psalmist would say, nowhere, nowhere. He sees everything and one day he will set all things right. Not one thing will be missed or forgotten by the Father, not one. And I think we will be restless and dissatisfied as people, as children of God even, we'll be restless and dissatisfied until we come to know that that is trustworthy and true, that he actually sees everything and will set everything right and not one thing that you have done for him, with him, on his behalf, because of him, in light of his kingdom, not one thing will be forgotten. He knows it all and he will reward you. Jesus, the high king of all creation, whose kingdom it is, has promised you that. Friend, he's promised to reward you. I just think the most spectacular thing in the whole thing, in this whole passage, is that he sees every one of us. That he sees you. All of us at a deep intrinsic level were created to be doted upon. To be the apple of our father's eye, to be delighted in and noticed for who we really are and what we really do. And I think the father wants to hear from us. Just like my kids cry out to me, daddy look, daddy hear, daddy watch, look at me, pay attention. Call out to him. Father, look, please pay attention. Do you hear me, God? Do you see? He's not annoyed with you in this. At one point, he actually, Jesus, in teaching on prayer, he actually says that we should go to God like a persistent widow would go to a judge. And it's a strange passage because he's not actually saying that God is a judge who doesn't want to hear a case. He's trying to alleviate the anxiety that we might have going to him by saying, dude, like, just keep going back all the time. You can never, ever, 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 ever talk to God so much that he gets tired of you, ever. You can never exhaust him. You can never run him out of energy. You can never find him on a bad day, ever. He wants you to cry out to him. I, as a human father, way imperfect, irritable like crazy, full of sin, so much, recognize in my own children who also are sinners that it's good for them to cry out to me, look. How much more can our Father in heaven recognize that it's good for us to cry out to him who's never irritable and he loves us literally unconditionally. I like to think I love my kids unconditionally, but there's conditions buried in my heart that are wicked. That's not true with God. He would give his life on, he gave his life on your behalf that all he wants you to do is say, Daddy, look. I need to be a little careful here because Matthew 6 is primarily a warning. Not this really warm, fluffy language, okay? It's primarily a warning not to practice our righteousness before others. Not to give, pray, and fast so others might see. Jesus is very clear on that, okay? If we do this, we have no reward because we've gotten everything we asked for. He is warning us, yes, but one church father in the fourth century said this, and I love it. He said that here, Christ is freeing us from the oppression of human opinion. Here, Christ is freeing us from the oppression 
of human opinion. How much is your, is your social media dedicated to human opinion? How much is the way you dress every day dedicated to human opinion? How much are you worried about who sees you and who notices you in different places, saying different things, doing different things, or not doing different things? Can you see that the Father sees everything and, and you have such a deep, intrinsic need to be known that unless you believe it is addressed by a good Father, you will have no chance but to seek out that from others who will never, ever, ever fulfill you. And it's oppressing. Jesus wants to free you from the oppression of human opinion. He's warning us, in other words, that in order to free us and to tell us, in order to free us, he needs to tell us that the Father does see us everywhere all the time in the secret. Do you know even, this is a strange fact in the Gospel of Matthew, but the very first time that Jesus refers to God as our Father is in this sermon, which would have been shocking to hear. In this sermon, he brings in an intimacy and begins to tell us about the heart of this God who sees us all the time and doesn't need us to perform for him. He doesn't need us to do a bunch of song and dance for him. He sees it all. He even knows what's happening as we do it. He wants us to honestly stand before him and say, look, look. Friends, as God sets about this work of perfecting you that I talked about last week, that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter five, teaching you to be, for example, less angry, to mean what you say, to love your enemies, what you will find is that you are drawn in his kingdom to charity, to giving to the poor. You will find that you are drawn to pray. You will find that you are drawn to fast, to give up things, to attend to God, to, te to be reminded and to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These, these will inevitably happen if you follow Jesus as king. And these kinds of things you do not do for the attention of others. You will do them surely for the attention of someone though. You cannot help that. You have a desire to be seen that will never go away, ever. May that someone be God who sees what no one else does and promises to reward you more than you could ever ask or imagine. He is a good father who delights in his children and he delights to hear them cry out, Daddy, look, did you see that? Did you see me? My prayer, friends, is that you really believe that that's true, that that's true. Let me pray for you. Father, just look at us tonight. Just look at us and help us know it. Help us know that you see us. As we praise you, help, help every one of my friends here, Father, um, know that you see the doubt, you see the faith, you see the battles, and they don't need to fake anything. You know it all. Help us know that you see us and that you accept us right where we are and you just want us to say to you, look. May your spirit be on the move in this room helping us believe that it's true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.